Josephina? Josephina, where is she? Josephina? Oh, she can't come to the phone right now. It's Miller time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Rabia. And Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravi and I are a college and high school gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 107 of Hold On To Your Racket. If you haven't already, do take a moment to check out episode 106, um, which released on Thursday. Um, It was a pretty cool interview that Josephina and I did with um, Robin Montgomery, um, professional tennis player, uh, U.S. Open girls, singles and doubles champion last year. So we had a lot of fun with that. Always love to highlight new Gen Z talents on the podcast. Speaking of which, we have another Gen Z talent, new Gen Z talent that we're going to highlight today on the podcast. Because as you probably heard in the intro skit, Josephina's voice sounded a little different, perhaps not even there. Um, So Josephina is actually sadly, well, happy for her, sad for me, away on vacation and as she a very well-deserved vacation and as she is uh soaking up the sun i am joined by one of my good friends um one of also josephina's friends a past hotter guest miller miller Um, introduce yourself um so i'm miller i've been a guest on this fantastic show before and in mm-hmm. Josephine's absence, I was asked to step in and save the day as a co-host. Exactly. So I'm very excited to be here and talk about tennis with Shravia, which is what basically I do in my free time anyway. So it, it pretty much works out. Exactly. Miller and I actually went to U.S. Open Fan Week together a couple of days ago, which was a lot of fun. Um, who did we see play when we went together? We saw Shapovalov. We saw Medvedev. Nick Kyrgios and Jack Sock. <laughs> Taylor Fritz and Medvedev, which was pretty awesome. That was pretty um, cool. We saw Muguruza. We saw we saw a lot of cool people. Um, saw some cool. Yeah, Alex Dimitrov. Yeah, you're yeah, and we saw some cool qualifying matches as well. It was super hot that day, so we were both kind of like exhausted by the end of it. But U.S. Open Fan Week is great. They've done an awesome job. Um, and obviously, the qualifying tournament is wrapping up now, which means that we will be heading into the main draw in just a few days. So we're going to do a little bit of a draw preview. Um, but first, we do want to talk about some hot headlines in the tennis world, um, all sort of U.S. Open related. First being that Angelique Kerber, the 2016 U.S. Open champion, announced her pregnancy. Um, back those six years ago, she won the U.S. Open, achieved the world number one ranking after that win. Um, and so the U.S. Open obviously means a lot to her, but she actually had a pretty funny way of announcing on social media that she will not be playing. So she said to everybody that two against one just isn't a fair competition, which I think we can all kind of kind of understand that it would be pretty difficult. Um, but we're very happy for her. I'm 
hold on to your racket and we're very excited <laughs> to see what comes next in her career and in her family life. And we're very happy for her. Good job, Miller. Good job. All right. Now, this next story is really going to hurt Miller. This is like very to talk about. This is so. This is obviously about Novak Djokovic confirming his U.S. Open absence. Now, before we get into the details of the story, Miller, I want you to share with our listeners. You are a hardcore Djokovic fan from this, like, like from the second we became friends. Like, this is one thing that I knew about you. Um, can you tell us how this fandom started? This fandom started when I was just like watching tennis, like with my parents at like three years old four years old like I was very young and like I just I saw him playing and like I just like became a fan like there was really nothing else really much to it when you just pick that person when you're young you kind of have to stick with them you kind of have to stick with it because I don't really come from a tennis family or come from people who who are big tennis fans so I just kind of picked my own person and it worked out I mean I put my I put my money on a pretty a pretty good player but at the same (laughs) time then it's been difficult over the years but I will stand by him through thick and through thin and <laughs> um it's pretty disappointing that he's not going to be allowed to play and enter the country for this tournament not because i don't agree with vaccination kind of policy but at the same time i think it's it's almost a poor precedent to set that last year when vaccines were more effective he was allowed to participate in this year he's not and i think there's kind of a lot of outdated policy in place at the moment and it kind of needs to be shifted to allow stuff to return to normal. There we go. P- perfectly fair take. Um, but nevertheless, the Djokovic case in particular is um, an interesting one because he has stuck so true to his sort of, um, he says he's not anti-vax. I personally don't see it as anything other than anti-vax. Um, but whatever it is, he's really stuck to those principles because he is really sacrificing, honestly, uh, in my opinion, goat status um, with, you know, you know, Rafa Nadal still here um, without the Djokovic roadblock in his way many times. Um, whereas Novak just, you know, the fact that someone like him is putting this over his career, um, I think speaks volumes to how strongly he believes in this. Again, not saying that I, you know, in any way endorse this opinion of his but it just every single time that something like this happens I'm just amazed not particularly in a good way but basically to give you the rundown as Miller you were saying U.S. vaccination policy requires non-citizens to be fully vaccinated to enter the country obviously that means that Djokovic cannot the U.S. Open Tournament Director, Stacey Allister, she said, um, Novak is a great champion, and it is very unfortunate that, we'll, that he will be unable to compete at the 2022 U.S. Open as he is unable to enter the country due to the federal government's vaccination policy for non-U.S. citizens. We look forward to welcoming Novak back at the 2023 U.S. Open. So keeping it very focused on the federal policy and just keeping it at that. So definitely a... Uh, smartly worded statement from the u.s open there but novak uh, i mean oh my god i just called you novak miller why don't you do the honors of sharing what novak shared with his fans on social media so yeah i was probably one of the first people to read this i do have post notifications for them for <laughs> um because i was waiting to see what was going to happen um 
and he posted on his story and on Twitter yesterday um, in the morning, at least Eastern Standard Time in the morning, um, saying, thank you, Nolay fam, for your messages of love and support and good luck to my fellow players. I'll keep in good shape and positive spirit and wait for an opportunity to compete again and announcing that he would not be playing in this year's U.S. Open. I mean, you just think back, it's been an entire year of this. Like he's ended up playing so few tournaments this year, starting with the Australian Open, this last minute kind of deportation and being allowed in the country and being deported. And it's just the same thing here. We're two days before the start of the main draw now. And it's just the same thing. It's still last minute. We still don't know what's happening. And I think it speaks both to how much policy has been changing just around the world, but at the same time, how how this has really been the reality of Djokovic's life for quite a while now. And I think it's just, you have to imagine at a certain point that will start affecting his career and will start affecting his play because he can't not, can't keep not playing tournaments and holding up his best level of play. And so I guess we'll see what happens, but it's definitely been a crazy year for, for Novak Djokovic. No, it's crazy. And the fact that this is possibly shaping the GOAT debate or the final stretches of the GOAT debate within the big three, is just I think mind-blowing to me the fact that you could that it would be something so unrelated to tennis but such an seemingly easy choice to just okay just get the shot and you know you're gonna be back and um possibly surpassing Rafa with these records but to each their own I guess um but uh, yeah as you said it's the same story every time with our last hot headline I actually found this story really interesting um, on the podcast, we've been talking a lot about um, Ukraine and Russia tensions and how that's been manifesting in the tennis world. Um, and recently, just a couple of days ago, the U.S. Open hosted an exhibition fundraiser for Ukraine relief called Tennis Plays for Peace. Um, it was on Wednesday. They, um, I think, raised like $2 million for relief in Ukraine for the war. And you know, what Victoria Azarenka was, I mean, this play, this uh, fundraiser event, exhibition match included the likes of John McEnroe, Coco Goff, um, Carlos Alcaraz, Tommy Paul, Tsitsipas, Sakari, just a lot of big names. Rafael Nadal. Yes, Nadal. how could I forget? Yeah, Iga Shiatek, Nadal, Leila Fernandez, I think just a lot of people. Um, and Victoria Azarenka was also slated to participate in the event. And this was actually a decision that was made by the U.S. Open. So the tournament director had called Azarenka to ask her if she wanted to participate. And then Stacey Allister, the tournament director, said of that phone call that Azarenka immediately said yes, um, that she would like to participate. And as you know, Azarenka is from Belarus, which is one of the countries that has been um, part of, like, you know, the ban, the Wimbledon ban also. removing the flag from the players' names and such. And Azarenka is also a player who's very active in WTA leadership. She also was very outspoken about her disapproval of the Russian-slash-Belarusian player Ben at Wimbledon. Um, but as Stacey Allister said, she was seemingly eager to participate in this event. But then the tables turned. So Ukrainian players complained to the USTA about the participation of a Belarusian player, and she was removed from the event on the day of. And the USTA said in the last 24 hours, after careful consideration and dialogue with all parties involved, Victoria Azarenka will not be participating in our Tennis Plays for Peace exhibition this evening. They said she's a strong player and we appreciate her willingness willingness to participate. 
But essentially, given the sensitivities to Ukrainian players and the ongoing conflict, we believe this is the right course of action for us. So it's just a huge turn of events going on. Like she was invited to participate. She was asked by the, the director of the tournament if she wanted to play and said yes. And essentially was then told, sorry, no. Yeah. Uh, like it's such an interesting kind of turn of events going on because it's almost like whether or not she wants to help, it's really just the flag next to her name is kind of disqualifying. Yeah, but at the same time, like I think this was um, uh, an effort by the USTA to really sort of an opportunity to, you know, unite and kind of send a good message. And I feel like I don't I feel like it was a a, a good idea. Um, but I think the concern with a lot of the Ukrainian players was that they weren't consulted um, in this decision, which I do also understand because at the end of the day, this is a very sensitive topic. And there has been a lot of tension within the Ukrainian players cohort. We've seen players like Svitolina and Yastremska, um, retired player um, Sergei Stajkovsky has spoken out a lot. Um, so it's, you know, Marta Kostyuk actually said about this decision to um, allow Azarenka, invite Azarenka to play, and then the Ukrainian players complaining about it. She said, no one asked Ukrainian players if they would be fine to see Russian or Belarusian players there. I won't play if players from aggressive country, aggressor countries play. Um, and she said this because she, along with a bunch of other Ukrainian players, were invited to participate in the event, but she said no because of Azarenka's um, apparent participation. So just another example of how tricky this is. This really unleashed a big debate on Twitter about whether or not this decision actually made the whole situation worse, like whether letting Azarenka play would have been an opportunity to show a sense of unity. But um, it really doesn't seem like there has been common ground in many aspects between WT and ATP leadership and the Ukrainian players on some of the decisions that have been made, aside from the Wimbledon ban. But again, the Wimbledon ban was separate from the ATP and the WTA. So now we're going to get into tennis talk. And obviously, we have the US Open upon us. The draws were released yesterday, which was Thursday. Um, and obviously draw release day is a very dramatic day in the tennis world. Um, but we're going to start with the ATP. Our defending champion is, of course, Daniil Medvedev, um, with that awesome win last year that both Miller and I watched in person, but we were obviously oh, rooting awesome. for different people. Awesome. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was awesome. Like, that's not really what I would call it, but. <laughs> um, it was quite the experience. Um, so the first quarter is, of course, Medvedev's quarter. We've got the top seeds. We've got Medvedev, Felix, Pablo Carina Busta, Roberto, um, Alex Dimonor, Nick Kyrgios, Kachanov, and Basilashvili. Um, and let's just talk about the top contenders. So let's talk about Daniil. If you look at his draw, not bad, right? Not bad. But then we get to this potential and probable round of 16 versus Nick Kyrgios, which I think is what everyone had their eyes on when they first looked at the draw. So I guess let's spend some time talking about both these guys. And, you know, I know, Miller, you have some thoughts on Nick and how he's been playing. I mean, I think it's just 
I think it's such an interesting prospect of the two of them meeting like once again, this would be their third major clash of the year, if I'm not forgetting one. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen, we saw the Australian Open go one way in a, in a pretty resounding victory for, for Daniil Medvedev. But then mm-hmm. we just saw um, a few weeks ago, Nick Kyrgios was able to really turn the tables and give him some payback for that win. And I think it's just the prospect of coming into a third match of these two these two big personalities in tennis, both maybe in different ways, but two big personalities coming together, both now playing some of their best tennis and both will be the most hungry for this title. Um, I think it's really, I think it'll be really interesting. I think there'll definitely be some fireworks if it does end up happening. But of course, it's always a question with Nick whether he makes it out of the first two rounds and it's just, we really don't know. We never really know until the tournament starts what Nick Curious we're actually going to see. I happen to think we're going to see some motivation from him. He's been playing well. He's been treating his body well. And I think he has this really newfound, newfound spark and motivation. So we'll see what happens. But I think it's really anybody's guess kind of how well he ends up playing this tournament and how far he ends up, he ends up going. Because I, I mean, I've been saying this for years. It's really, if he just puts his effort and puts his mind to it, there's really no reason he couldn't win a grand slam, including this one. And I think it really, it's all kind of in his hands. But that's the thing that Nick Kyrgios is like the biggest what if question in tennis. So and that's what everyone's been saying for so long, as you said. But I do wonder if reaching that Wimbledon final changed something in his mentality. I don't know. Um, I mean, he did take the City Open title, reach the Montreal quarterfinals. Daniil had took the Los Cabos title um, a little while ago, but that's still kind of within that U.S. Open swing, sort of. Um, but something tells me that in a best of five situation, in a situation where Daniil is the defending champion, um, I do think that he has this level of maturity and a little bit of an edge in terms of the fact that you do have to keep this consistently going for three sets at least. Um, so I'm hopeful that that gives Medvedev an edge. Nick Kyrgios also does first have to get through Tanasi Kokonakis in the first round, which is kind of hilarious that they're playing in the first round. And then he also has Roberto Bautista Agu within his section. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but I have a certain level of confidence in Medvedev in this situation. Um, but, you know, it's also the U.S. Open. I mean, this is sort of like a crowd situation that um, both of them have had interesting experiences with. So we'll see how that goes. As far as our other contenders here, Felix, I don't know what to expect from him. He's been having a pretty mid-season. Reached the semis here last year, which was a big moment of maturity for him because he had a great sort of Wimbledon and U.S. Open breakthrough. And he lost to Medvedev here last year. But so far, the U.S. Open swing, he's been six and three, like nothing great, nothing bad. Um, I just don't really see him making a big uh, breakthrough here like he did last year. I think last year he was at a different level. Yeah, I don't really see it either. I mean, I think we're looking at a round of 16 or a quarterfinal departure for him, but I think there's always a chance of something, something exciting happening. And I think I wouldn't count him out just yet. Sure. I mean, I was surprised about his, I mean, he was getting some momentum in Montreal and that was obviously a situation where there was pressure on him playing in front of a home crowd. Sometimes we've seen Felix falter under pressure. Um, 
but I don't think too many people are talking about him right now, even though he is a defending semifinalist. So that could be to his advantage. As far as one more top contender, this is someone who has unfortunately given Miller's favorites some some trouble the past few years. Pablo Carreño Busta. As you described, we were watching him practice a few days ago when we were at the US Open. Miller turns to me and he goes, he's just a bad Djokovic. I mean, I think there's there's some truth there. It's a backhand <laughs> and that's worse, and there's a serve that's worse. And he's a strong player. You know, he's just always there. He's always solid. But at the same time, I was there last year sitting in the front row for the entire five sets. I was actually there for the full five sets of him versus Maxime Cressy, where he lost last year uh, in the first round. And I think there's always that possibility with him as well. He can put together a strong run sometimes. I mean, he just won in Montreal, like out of nowhere. That was out of nowhere. Won in Montreal, lost in first round of Cincinnati. I don't really care about the first round loss in Cincinnati, but the Montreal win was like, what? Yeah, I mean, I think they just, they just come out of nowhere with him. And I think, I mean, he's he's a former U.S. Open, U.S. Open semifinalist. And I think mm-hmm. I think it could happen, but it could also be a first-round loss, which is what happened last year. And it's just, yes, this is one of his historically best tournaments, but it was also one of his historically worst tournaments. <laughs> so I think there's really kind of, there's no good barometer to actually test how far he'll make it because there's really just no way to predict. Yeah. He's opening against Dominic team, which should be interesting. And along with Dominic team, we've got some other dark horses in the mix here. Ben Shelton have been talking about him a lot recently. He also just announced that he's going to be turning fully pro now and not returning to college tennis. Um, We also have JJ Wolf, Christian Guerin, Jack Draper, Emil Rusevori. So some good talents there. If I had to pick, who I think is making it out of this quarter. For me, it's a question of Kyrgios versus Medvedev. I, as I was implying before, am going to go with Daniil. Miller, do you have any picks you want to make for this quarter? I, I mean, I think it has to be Daniil. I don't really see it going any other way. But, you know, it really, it could be Nick also. I think it's going to be a hot tournament. I think it's going to be, especially on the hard courts, it gets really, really hot down there on center court and, and on all the courts. And I think that's very different for Wimbledon. And I think, that could even bring out this last few percentage points of difference between Medvedev and Kyrgios, just because yeah, Medvedev good point. Is shape. and I good think point. Kyrgios, as much as he might be training now and like actually taking stuff seriously, it's just training. Not, it's not the same as the level really Medvedev. So the next quarter is Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter. We've obviously got Steph there, Casper Ruud, Taylor Fritz, Matteo Berrettini, Botik van der Zandschlup. Francisco Serendolo, Tommy Paul, and Maxime Cressy. So it's compared to our last quarter, which was a little bit confusing. This one is just obviously stacked here. In terms of top contenders, Steph certainly has shown some improvement the past few weeks after a good Cincinnati run reached the final there. Did not have a great U.S. Open swing last year. This was the time where all his bathroom drama was going on. Very few Steph supporters in the crowd at his matches. Lost to Alcaraz in that epic match on Ash. Um, so I feel like hopefully he's turning over a new leaf this time because he doesn't have some great memories here from last year. Um, but again, his success has been pretty recent. The Cincinnati run was definitely a little bit surprising, but hopefully promising for him. The U.S. Open. As for Matteo Berrettini, um, obviously I got to talk about him. He was having a great grass season. COVID knocked him out of Wimbledon. 
And since he's, you know, he had a couple of good results um, on the clay after that, but he's since lost in the first round of Montreal and Cincinnati to PCB and Tiafo. So don't really know what to expect here. Um, this is another event that Berrettini does tend to do well at. Um, but, I mean, it's still unclear how his mojo is going. But Miller, I want to take some time to talk about Taylor Fritz. In my opinion, he's the top contender here, but I don't know what you think. We did see him practice the other day. I mean, I think it's always, again, it's like always a question with him. I turned to you the other day when I saw him, I'm like, what is it with this guy and fainting in, in the heat? I think it's just like when it gets hot, we've seen him. It's just like when it gets really difficult and the conditions are really tough, we've seen him play some long matches, which he's able to get through. But um, but on those hottest, hottest days in the really tough conditions, he seems to fade a little bit. I mean, going back to Berrettini, I think it's really hard to know what's going to happen with him because he's not losing in the first round to to random players. Like he lost to the eventual winner of Montreal, right? Who's playing really well right now. And so I, I think if he's able to get into his rhythm a little bit and, and play a couple of easier matches, I think that might really, really carry him forward, and he might get that get that momentum to push him through to the tournament. No, that's a that's a good point. I mean, again, as you said, the players he lost to, I mean, nothing really, it's not like a shocking loss, but um, it's just about building momentum. As you said, Taylor, I mean, people do have eyes on him because he has been playing at a whole nother level this year, especially after that Indian Wells win. Even in Australia, he was doing great. Um, but that Wimbledon quarterfinal, I feel like really um, proved that, okay, now finally things are not only just coming together for Taylor, Things are coming together for Taylor at the slam level. That Wimbledon quarterfinal loss to Nadal, though, was a match he should have won um, and could have changed the, you know, who knows what would have happened then in the semis versus Nick Kyrgios. But I think he knows that. But I think the type of player that he is, that's going to sort of give him another level of belief, I feel like, at the U.S. Open. But again, conditions. Casper Ruud is another top contender we have here. Pretty good year for him. Montreal semis. His best result at the U.S. Open is the third round, though. But I find it, I I feel like that's something that could be changed this year. Someone who's been playing super solid. I don't anticipate an early exit. But as far as dark horses, we have a bunch if this field was not already stacked. Andy Murray opening up against Sarandolo, Nishioka versus ADF in the first round, Stan Wawrinka, Sebastian Korda, and Tim Van Verthoven, who we saw doing really well in the grass. Um, Miller, who's your pick to make it out of this quarter? I really want to say Taylor. I don't know. If I did. Happen. I did too. That yeah, I wanted to as well. It's probably going to be Steph, and I think that's just yeah. kind of what's going to happen. But. I really want it to be Taylor. And I think that Taylor is really going to have the crowd behind him in a way he hasn't yet. Um, because now it's not only is he an American at the U.S. Open, but he's a hot American at the U.S. Open. <laughs> I think, I mean, hot. In, a, in, in more a... ways than one. You're right. In more ways than one. Um, hey, Morgan Riddle came on our podcast and she would also agree with that statement. So I mean, she, she may. Um, <laughs> I think that could really push him through in a way that, I mean, that Stephanos couldn't really contend with. So I'm really hoping for that. So I think this is going to be an interesting quarter because I think there's there's obviously one clear contender, but I think there's a lot of people who could take him down. All right. Next quarter, Carl, uh, Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. I still think it's crazy that now we're at the stage where we're literally talking about Carlos Alcaraz having his own quarter. He is the third seed here. Um, 
We've got him, Hubert Hercats, Yannick Sinner, Marin Cilic, Grigor Dimitrov, Dan Evans, Borna Choric, and Lorenzo Musetti. So top contenders, obviously Carlos Alcaraz. This is where he made his breakthrough last year, but lately we have seen him feeling the pressure. I think that'll obviously come back knowing how well he did last year. He's still been playing solid, but faltering a little here and there. So I, again, don't really know what to expect. Um, Best of five is also another environment. Grand Slam is another environment. And usually he rises to the occasion. Um, But I I don't think it's, you know, too concerning for him. He's still young. We don't really have too much to worry about. As far as Hubert Hercutch, Miller, I find Hubert Hercutch to be, like, in a way, like Pablo Carreño Busta in that great player, right? Like sometimes you'll see him make these awesome runs and you're like, yeah, I see why you're making that great run because you are an awesome player. But then for like two months, he'll disappear. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens that happens often with him. I think there's really no way to predict. I don't see him really ever making, at least for the foreseeable future, really making a deep, deep, deep run at the at the U.S. Open or at any other major, to be perfectly honest, I think. Like he's I mean, a, he had that Wim- – he he did get to the Wimbledon, like, quarters last year. Yeah, exactly. Like, quarters, I think, is, like – that's about it. I mean, Alcaraz is just crazy. We're talking about him third seed. Like, last year at the U.S. Open, we would have not been saying this at all. And I think it's just – it's so crazy how kind of quickly he's had this rise to, to complete stardom. Yeah. Um, I mean – I think we've also have Yannick Sinner in the mix here, who's been, again, pretty solid season, nothing like stand out, like, oh yeah, like that happens. Um, so I'm always curious to see how he does because he's kind of at the level of his career where, yes, he made his breakthrough, he established himself. Now it's about staying within that top 10 um, territory and seeing how you can sort of get more of these top 10 wins and make more inroads. As for Borna Chorich, I mean, he is a guy who, looking back a few years ago, he was the sort of, like, next-gen prospect. Like, everyone was talking about him. He was really putting up challenges against the likes of Federer and Nadal, Djokovic, when he would play against them. Um, and he did pr- surprise everyone with this Cincinnati when he's been out with injury for a while. Defeat Nadal in, um, you know, on his way there and in Nadal's first match. And he could play Carlos Alcaraz in the round of 16. And I would honestly give Borna Torch an edge there just considering both of their performances lately. Um, as far we do have, you know, Dark Horses in Nakashima and Jensen Brooksby, who also had a great U.S. Open last year. Um, Brooksby is someone who everyone talks about this. He is a guy who really confuses other players because a lot of these other players don't really know how to play against him because it is, in a way, a Djokovic-esque style of play. He made such a good run last year. I would definitely not count him out of this quarter. I think, I think he could really do well, especially being an American at the U.S. Open. I think that always helps. And I think, um, I think he could do something great, and he could toss up some some good upsets here, which I'd be excited to see because I, I think he's so fun to watch, and it's just like he just plays this really interesting style of play that's really unpredictable. My pick for this quarter is bizarrely Hubert Hercatch. I just I don't know. I feel like like yes, like I know what you were saying before, but did I think Casper Rude was gonna make a Grand Slam final? No, but he did it. So I don't see why someone like Hubert Hurkacz can't at least make it out of this quarter. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, he's been faltering a bit. Borna Chorich, I don't know how long he's going to be able to keep up this level of play. Um, but I, for some reason, have picked Hubert. 
that that would not be my pick. Um, Who's your pick? It's really it's hard to pick. But it's definitely not him. Um, you we know, also have Yannick here. I for, kind of I forgot think, about Sinner. I think Yannick could do very well here. Okay. Um, and then you also have to remember Chilich and Dimitrov both have made incredible runs here in the past. I certainly think Borna Chorich could do very well here. Um, now coming in with some kind of newfound confidence. I think that that always helps him when he puts together one good run that leads to two, three, four, five. And when he's not hot, I think it really leads him into almost this downward spiral. So I think it could, I think it could work out well for him. Um, but yeah, I do not see Hubert Hercatch getting out of this quarter. All right, let's quickly go through this last quarter here and then move on to the WTA. This is Rafael Nadal's quarters. We have Nadal, Nori, Rublev, Schwartzman, Shapovalov, Tiafo, Holger Rune, and Kekmanovic. I think you yeah. could have stopped that this is Rafael Nadal's quarter and we could have oh, just yeah. stopped that. I mean, that's, that's true. That's all there is to talk about. <laughs> so Nadal, of course, is going for the number one ranking here at this tournament. Lots of questions about his injury. Roland Garros, of course, was a win, but... Wimbledon, we saw him reach those semis after that really painful match in the quarterfinal, but then he did have to pull out. And that was a really concerning um, situation because, again, we saw his box telling him to retire, to retire. Like, it's like, you know, not worth it, but he wanted to stay through the whole match. Um, and that had its impact. And obviously, we saw him lose Chorich just recently. He does have some dark horses looming in his section early on in Karatsev, Fognini, Kekmanovic. But um, again, this is, you know, Rafael Nadal doesn't enter a tournament unless he does feel physically prepared. I feel like actually mm, that's not exactly true. He somehow finds a way, at least to these early rounds. I don't, you know, I don't see an early exit coming, but we also have Cam Nori here. Los Cabos final, Cincinnati semis. I could definitely see him making the quarters here against Nadal um, because otherwise we have Andre Rublev who has been hot and cold lately and he does have Cam Nori in his section of the quarter and I would definitely give Nori the edge. So I personally think this quarter boils down to um, Nadal and Cam Nori unless we have someone like Francis Tiafo or John Isner come through as a dark horse. I mean, I think, I mean, I think this is Rafael Nadal's quarter through and through. I think there's really, you look at this list of names and, and it's, it's Nadal and others. And I think it's really, I don't see anything too challenging coming up for him. Like, yes, he, he lost to Borna Chorich and, and yes, he's kind of, he's battling this abdominal injury and he had a foot injury earlier in the year, which people kind of forget about. And I think that's, that's kind of always in play with him these days. Mm-hmm. but I really still don't see him losing. He's, he's so good at the U S open and he's desperately going to want to kind of two up Novak Djokovic. And I think he's going to want that number one ranking. Um, and I don't see too many problems for him. I think Shapo is always, always no. A great no, Shapo is not making it far in this tournament. No, I don't think he's making it far in this tournament, but I think he could put together two good matches, two good um, matches. That would be a lot. Yes. And Francis, I think, could do something. I think Francis could do something. But sure. other than that, I don't, I don't really see anybody giving Rafa too much trouble. Interesting. All right. Um, let's talk about the WTA now. Defending champion is, of course, Emma Raducanu. How could we forget? No one, you know, no one can forget. 
And for our first quarter is Iga Swiatek's quarter. So we've got Iga, Jessica Pagula, Muguruza, Ostapenko, Kvitova, Anisimova, Alexandrova, and Mertens. So to talk about Iga for a bit, obviously, like, had been the dominant world number one, 37-match win streak. We talked about this in a previous episode. She's been having some struggles lately, a 4-3 win loss so far on the hard courts. That's not ideal. Um... She also has a relatively tricky draw with Anisimova or Kin Wenjiang, the you know 19-year-old um, Chinese player who we've been watching a lot late- recently, potentially awaiting in the fourth round. So I honestly don't see or expect much from Iga in this tournament. I just don't really think the, the game has been there the past couple of months um, or weeks. So I am not too confident in her chances. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you can't really count her out because she's just so talented. I mean, right. she does that that Grand Slam experience, which a lot of other women's players don't at this uh, – players on the women's side don't at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would completely agree with you. I think that she's coming in kind of cold, and she doesn't have that storied career like Rafa Nadal coming in off of a bad clay court season and then winning Roland Garros every year. I think it's a very, mm-hmm. very different thing we're talking about here. And we're on the hard courts, and it just really hasn't been – hasn't been clicking it hasn't been working out and i think there's always a chance that it does but i i wouldn't call her the favorite to win this tournament yeah i totally agree we have petra kudova here who recently out of nowhere picked up her game in cincinnati um we'll see how that fares here the u.s open historically has not been one of her favorite slams she's someone who has not really dealt well with the conditions um but the person who i think really has the strongest edge in this entire quarter is jessica pagula i'm a huge fan um josephina is as well we love her and i really do think that she has the ability to make it to the quarterfinals at the u.s open at least she could totally be the one who makes it at this quarter i mean toronto semifinal, cincinnati quarterfinal um she's just been not like racking up those good wins lately and that's why i feel like she's the most um competent to make it out of here we do have some Players like Sloane Stevens, Anisimova, Kennan, Kinuen, Towson um, in this mix. But I think Pagula has been showing the most consistency out of all the players in this section. Yeah, man, I think she'd be my favorite pick as well um, for this quarter. I just don't really see. Uh, she's just been so consistent. She's been banging in those quarterfinals, those semifinals, and I think it's just if she keeps putting together these wins and keeps putting them, uh, especially on the hard court, she's been playing well. And I think, I think it could come, it could really come together for her. Mm-hmm. Second quarter is Paula Bedosa's quarter, but like not really Paula Bedosa's quarter. We've got her, Arena Sablenka, Emma Raducanu, Bencic, Danielle Collins, Karolina Pliskova, Rybakina, the Wimbledon champ, and Azarenka. So it's pretty stacked here as well. Um, I think Bedosa, not quite in the form she was in a few months ago when we saw her take that Indian Wells title and then start off the year. Um, she lost in the first round at both Cincinnati and Toronto, so I have very little expectations for her. Benchage, Toronto quarters, got to the U.S. Open quarterfinals here last year, defeating Iga Swiatek on the way. So Benchage is always someone who I don't feel necessarily needs momentum going into a big tournament because I think these are the events that she brings at her best. So I have my eyes on her. Emma Raducanu, we can talk about her for a bit. I mean, definitely picked up her level in Cincinnati. 
has a very difficult first round versus Cornet and a difficult section overall. Overall, she's going to play probably the winner of Osaka and Collins. Um, she may have to face Elena Rybakina, Arena Sabalenka, or Kaya Kanepi. Um, so we haven't seen Raducanu get more than two wins at a tournament since her U.S. Open run, I'm pretty sure. So not really been able to find that momentum. Past couple of weeks looked a bit better, but we actually, in our interview with Blair Henley a few weeks ago, as she said, the only thing more shocking than Emma Raducanu's 2021 U.S. Open win would be if she defends that title this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's about accurate. I think it's I think it's only going to be more difficult for her this year, coming in with way more expectations with that number 11 seed next to her name. And I think last year it was kind of all pressure was off, whereas this year it's completely the opposite. She has more pressure on her probably than anybody else at the tournament. And I think I think that's going to weigh on her. I don't really see it happening again. But at the same time, I wouldn't have said I saw it happening last year. So I think... True. You really have to wonder, is there something special about this tournament for her that's going to kind of bring something out of her? She's so new on the tour, especially at this top level, that we just really don't know what to expect. Um, and so I think that's going to be interesting. I think um, one person who you didn't mention was Karolina Pliskova. And oh, yeah. Look, she's not been playing the best. I think she had a pretty early exit in Cincinnati. But I do think she did well in Toronto, though. She made it to the semifinals, and she lost um, – she lost in the semifinals. So, and I think she has more experience than a bunch of these players. And I think that could always kind of, that could always help. And I think she could, she could do some damage here for sure. That's actually a great point. I mean, the other players we've got here are Rybakina and Sabalenka who have some tricky sections, but Urbina has been playing well. Um, semis at the U.S. Open last year, just reached the Cincinnati semis. Collins, Osaka first round, very exciting. Venus Williams, Kaya Kanepi also here. But overall, I think at this level to who's going to, you know, step up to the challenge, I think it's going to be Belinda Bencic um, in terms of who I think can make a deep run without having too much momentum behind them because no one really in this quarter has that much momentum behind them. Yeah, I think Pushkova could be there too. Yes. You never know what's going to happen with Radicanu. I mean, I... I would love love it if she did well, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Third quarter. Again, Maria Sakari's quarter technically, but not really. Um, We've got Simona Halep. Yeah, it's Simona Halep's quarter. Uh, Coco Goff, Beatrice Haddad Maya, Caroline Garcia, or arguably also Caroline Garcia's quarter. Madison Keys, Allison Risk Armitage, and Jill Teichman. Maria Sakari, yes, made the semifinals here last year, which was great. She has only won one match in the U.S. Open swing so far, made it to the third round of Wimbledon. It's not looking good for her. I think this is a Bedosa-type situation where, yes, top seed in the quarter, had a great season last year. This season, not so much. Simona Halep, though, as you said, I think this is her quarter, um, won the Toronto title, reached the Wimbledon semis. And I think that really proved that she's still in the running for slam titles um, out of, I guess, that quote-unquote generation of players. She's really the one who's sort of kind of made a little mini resurgence. Um, And I could definitely see her making a run beyond just this quarter. I think this is almost her quarter to lose. I think it's She's been having very strong results this season. She won the Toronto title. She made it to the Wimbledon semis um, in a Grand Slam environment. And I think there's 
I mean, yes, there are some great players in this quarter, but I think there's really there's really no way she should be losing because she is just playing so well. And she has that Grand Slam experience, so I don't really see it not coming together for her. True. The U.S. Open, though, has been one of those slams that has been her, you know, statistically worst slam um, uh, by far. So that is another factor to consider. But the pieces seem to be adding up for her. Otherwise, we do have Madison Keys here. Has a tricky section. Someone we know can go deep in the slams. Made it to the Australian semis this year and did do pretty well in Cincinnati to get to the semis and defeat Ika Swiatek. So, again, she's someone who I never know. Coco Goff is in the Madison Keys section, so it'll likely be a round three battle between the two of them to then face Simona Halep, which is going to be a tricky sequence. And then Caroline Garcia is really the player of the last few months. I mean, she has taken a title on each surface this year, most recently and most notably Cincinnati, the Masters 1000. And honestly, like with the state of the WTA right now, I could totally like I don't see why she can't be the one who ends up being the U.S. Open champion um, because she's someone who has the past few months really stepped up at another level. Yeah, I was just thinking about her. When you said, I, I, I don't see her, I don't see why she couldn't lift the trophy. I was like, are you crazy? And I was like, wait, what's happened the past few years? Like, of course she could lift the trophy. Like, why yeah. wouldn't she be able to? And I think that's really both indicative of the WTA right now, but also indicative of how well she's been playing coming in. Um, totally. And I could see her making a deep run. There. Yes. Other players to keep an eye out for, Hajad Maya reached the Toronto final. Bianca Andrescu, the champion here a few years ago. And Camilla Osorio, someone who we also are big fans of on Hold On To Your Racket. But I feel like Miller and I are on the same page here that this is Simona Halep's section. And Simona Halep does seem most poised to make it out. Yeah. All right. Last quarter to round out our U.S. Open episode. Um, well, U.S. Open preview episode. Annette Contivate quarter again third quarter in a row where this isn't really the top seeds quarter because we've got Annette Contevay, Ons Jabor, Daria Kazakina, Leila Fernandez, Veronica Kudermatova, Barbara Krejcikova, Martina Trevisan, and Shelby Rogers. So top contenders this is overall a decently open section of the draw which is fortunate for the likes of a particular um player aka Serena Williams who this is her last tournament which is insane but we'll talk about that in just a bit Annette Contevay and Ons Jabor these are two hotter favorites who sadly have not been performing too well lately they're the best players or best seeded players in this draw and certainly or sorry in this section and there's certainly the players in this section who've been the best overall this year but I mean, Contivate has not really found her footing much in the U.S. Open swing, and Jabor has not been doing great since the Wimbledon final. So I don't know what is going to be the situation with either of them. Same with Leila Fernandez, who's also here, defending finalist. I also don't really know what's going to happen. And then the only other person who I can really think of in terms of the seeds is Kazakina. Um, she's currently into the semis of the tournament going on right now, won the San Jose title, decent draw, could see her making the second week, but it could also be a totally random person who makes it out of this quarter. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, you look at this list of names and you're like, you, it's just impossible to pick one. So it's like, then you look to Annette Contivate, maybe her, like, she has the number two next to her name, and I think that's 
that's indicative of something. But at the same time, Ange Jabour has had, has had a strong year, but since Wimbledon, it's just kind of fallen apart for her. We may be in for some sort of repeat from last year of something just completely outlandish and crazy happening leading up to the latter, latter stages of the tournament. Because I don't really see anybody, both of these players in, the, in this quarter, but also in the, in the draw in general, I can't really pick one and say, oh yeah, this one's definitely making it to the finals or definitely making it out of their half of the draw. Like I just, I don't really know what's going to happen at all. Yeah. All right. I think the best way to end this episode would be, I mean, since we've agreed, we have no clue who's making out of here. We have a few dark horses in the mix. Um, but Serena Williams, this is her last ever professional tennis tournament. Um, the fact that, you know, any of these matches could be her last match is hard to kind of come to terms with. We've been talking about it uh, a lot on the podcast, but I think the U.S. Open is probably the best place for her to say farewell. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been her favorite tournament, maybe other than the French Open. Um, but she's always loved the crowd. Her family's always there. And I think it's just every year it's such a great place for her. And I think there's really no tournament where she would rather say goodbye. And whether or not this is a formality, um, just she wants to play a couple matches and say goodbye on the court rather than just tweet it from her house that she's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably the case is that she just wants to say goodbye from a tennis court. But at the same time, you know, you just hope that something happens, something magical happens where she's able to make, make some matches come together and win some matches. But it's really, it's so hard to envision it happening, but I would love it to happen. Thank you so much for joining us. And that is game set and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released next week as the U.S. Open approaches. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.